Our gracious and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you that, as we've already heard this morning, these words are not merely human words, but are your words, the words of the living God. Father, thank you that your word is living and active and that it works in each of us. And so we pray that you do that for us this morning. Please help us to listen to these words as yours, for your name's sake. Amen. Well, as we begin uh, looking at this passage this morning, I want you just to look um, at the screen. There hopefully a couple of pictures are going to come up for you. There you go. Uh, have a look at those pictures on the screen and just maybe tell the person next to you uh, or people around you what you think they are pictures of. Uh, what is going on? Where were they taken? What is happening? Just 10 seconds. What do you th- either think to yourself or tell the person next to you what's going on in those pictures. Where are they? What's it about? As you look at them, I don't know what you've just been saying or, or murmuring under your masks, but, but as you look at them, I, I imagine that you said something along the lines of, uh, those are pictures of some soldiers, uh, perhaps in the Middle East, maybe uh, in a country like Afghanistan. Uh, that's what's going on, that's where it is. Uh, that's what I uh, thought when I first saw those pictures. Actually, those pictures were taken in Norfolk. They take pictures taken in Norfolk because back in 2011, the British Army built a replica Afghan village in sunny Norfolk. It was there for the soldiers to patrol around, to interact with locals, and to take part in live fire scenarios. And the idea of it all really was to prepare the soldiers for active service, to give them the right expectations for what it would be like when they had to fight for real. You see, the British Army understood that having the right expectations was essential for succeeding at their task. Knowing what to expect, knowing what to prepare for, would help them to keep going even when things got tough. And this morning we're going to see that the same is true in the Christian life. Uh, For the past few weeks, as Danny's already said, we've been looking at Paul's letter to the Thessalonians. And in the section we've come to this morning, Paul says, look, if you want to stand firm, if you want to keep going as Christians, then you need to have the right expectations. You need to be prepared. Remember, if you can, if you've been with us, that, that Paul is writing to this young, fragile church plant. And for most of the first two chapters, he's been looking back, hasn't he? He's been reassuring the Thessalonians that their faith is real, that it's genuine. Their faith, love and hope, chapter 1, flowed from a real relationship with the living Lord Jesus. It could be seen in their lives. And not only was their faith real, but as we saw last week, so was Paul's ministry among them. Paul had preached the gospel with boldness and purity. He had loved the Thessalonians like a, like a mother, he said. He'd encouraged them like a father. And so he said, look, you can be sure that my ministry among you was the real thing. That's what we've seen so far. But now, having, having reassured them of what happened in the past, Paul starts to look forwards. And he wants to remind the Thessalonians of what to expect, 
what to expect as followers, real followers of the Lord Jesus. He wants them to know what the normal Christian life is like. And so I think we see two big things in our passage this morning. The first is that Paul says we should expect God's word to be at work in us. We should expect God's word to be at work in us. Remember, if you can, back to the start of chapter 1, where Paul begins by thanking God for the Thessalonians, for their genuine faith. And here in verse 13, he picks up that theme of thankfulness and shows more of what that genuine faith looks like. So just look at verse 13 with me. He says, And we also thank God continually, because when he received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. Paul thanks God because when he preached the gospel, the Thessalonians received it not as man's best thoughts, not as top tips from the latest lifestyle guru, not even as profound lessons from a religious teacher. No, they received it, he says, as the word of God. And I know that, that if you've been around kind of church things for a while or if you've, if you've grown up hearing the Bible talked about as God's word, like we already have this morning, well, it's easy to lose the impact of what Paul is actually saying here, isn't it? Uh, but I hope you can see just how staggering a claim this is. Paul is saying that as he spoke, the Thessalonians heard God speak. As they listened to Paul's voice, they heard God's voice. You received my message, says Paul, not as a human word, but as it actually is, the word of God. That is an, an astonishing claim. And it's one that Paul makes as a, a chosen, commissioned apostle of the Lord Jesus. But it's not a claim that is unique to just his words. In a different letter, Paul writes to Timothy and says that all scripture is God-breathed. The words that he, Paul, and the other Bible, uh, biblical authors spoke and wrote down are literally God's words breathed out. Uh, the words that you're holding in your hand uh, in a Bible or scrolling through on your phone this morning are the words of the living God. And that's not to say that the, that the people who wrote them, the, the human authors, became these kind of mindless puppets and just wrote down like robots without thinking. No, God uses different people in different times to write down his words. And so you, if you've read the Bible, you'll know that, that we get to experience some of, some of their personality, some of their expressions, their, their ways of putting things. And so Luke is different to David, who's different to Paul. The Bible has plenty of different human authors. But Paul's point is the words of the Bible are God's words. And so can you see how that, how that should begin to shape our expectations as Christians? When we open the Bible, we should expect to hear God speak to us. 
Whether it's as we read it ourselves, or talk about it with others, or listen to it preached, our expectation should be, every time, that we will hear the God of the universe speak to us. And knowing that, should, well, it should shape our expectations when it comes to preaching in particular. Earlier in chapter 2, Paul said he spoke as one who had been approved by God and entrusted with the gospel. Back in chapter 1, verse 4, he said it was in the power of the Spirit that he preached that gospel to the Thessalonians. And so Paul wants them and us to be crystal clear that the power and the authority of his preaching isn't found in him, but is found in the God who has given him a gospel to proclaim. And the same is true today. It isn't a preacher's eloquence or skill that makes them worth listening to. It's not their position or their persuasiveness that gives them some sort of authority. No, as helpful as those things might be, the preacher's power, the preacher's authority comes from God's word. And that means it is essential, absolutely essential, that they remain faithful to that word. We, the the church, the people that that are listening, should expect preachers to stick to God's word. To proclaim what God is saying, not what others or they would like him to say. Preachers should be faithful to God's word. And and that means that that we need to pray for them. Can I say, please, please pray for me. Please pray for anyone else who comes and, and preaches here at King's Church Chessington. Pray that we would preach in a way that means God's voice is heard and our voice fades into the background. We need to pray for our preachers. And then we need to prepare to hear God speak to us. If our expectation is that that when the Bible is opened, we hear God's voice, then we need to prepare, don't we? We need to be ready and expect God to speak to us each time we gather together like this. That means listening with our Bibles open or our apps open. It means checking what what the preacher is saying and making sure that it is faithful to God's words. It means taking time to, to talk about and reflect on the ways that God has spoken to us this morning through his words. Do you see, if we, if we really believe that the Bible is God's word, then we will pray for our preachers and we will prepare to hear God speak to us. And not only will he speak, but Paul says he will also work within us. Look at verse 13 again. Paul says, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. If you can remember back uh, to Easter time, Mike Tyndall came and preached, didn't he, from the end of Luke's gospel. And we heard how the risen Lord Jesus opened up the scriptures with the disciples and he taught them all about himself. And do you remember what they said as Jesus did that? Did not our hearts burn within us as he spoke? Or think back even further to Acts chapter 2 as as Peter preached the gospel to the crowds in Jerusalem. And the crowds, they were cut to the heart 
as God's word came to them. And then two weeks ago, we heard Paul talk to the Thessalonians saying about how they had received God's word with the joy given by the Spirit and how by the power of the Spirit, God had taken that word and completely changed them from the inside out. He had changed them so they moved away, they walked away from idols and to the living God. Time and time again, we see that God works through his word. And so this this is not a dead book. It's not a collection of interesting facts and stories or inspirational quotes to help us through Monday morning. No, as the writer to the Hebrews says, God's word is living and active. And so as we open it and as we receive God's word, God says he will be powerfully at work in us by his spirit. Which means a good question for us this morning is this. What do I expect as I open God's word? What do I expect as I open it and read it? As I read the Bible for myself, as I read it with others, do I expect God's word to be at work within me? Because I think it's, it's really easy, isn't it, to, to read the Bible or, or to listen to sermons simply because we, we know that's what good Christians ought to do. But the danger is we, we end up doing those things with no real expectation that God will be at work in them. It becomes this sort of tick box exercise, but we're not really sure it does anything. And so we find ourselves wondering, well, would, it, would anything be any different if I, if I don't read my Bible? Will my life just kind of carry on if I just don't bother? But you see, Paul wants the Thessalonians and he wants us to see that God works through his word. That should be our expectation as believers. And that's not to say that, that we should expect every quiet time to be this kind of dramatic, life-changing encounter with God. Nor are we going to leave every Sunday morning blown away by what the preacher says. No, sometimes we will read our Bible and we will frankly just be completely confused. Other times we'll listen to a sermon and we would have forgotten the points by lunchtime, even if they do begin with the same letter. Often reading our Bible and listening to sermons will just feel really ordinary. But Paul says it is anything but ordinary. As we open our Bible, the living God, the God of the universe, is at work in us. We can be absolutely sure, says Paul, that that through his word, God is helping us to keep going as Christians, to, to keep growing as Christians, even if we don't always see it. We should expect God's word to be at work in us, says Paul. And then secondly, he says, we should expect the world to be at work against us. The world to be at work against us. As we've already seen Uh, By looking at Acts chapter 17 and the start of this letter, the Thessalonians faced opposition from day one, didn't they? 
that from the moment they received and believed God's word, these new Christians faced constant pressure and persecution from those around them. And so you can imagine, can't you, these young believers looking around and wondering whether something had just gone wrong. If their faith was real, as Paul had told them, then why were they suffering like this? What was going on? But whilst the Thessalonians may well have taken their persecution as a reason to doubt their faith, Paul says the opposite is true. Look at verse 14. He says, For you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own people the same things those churches suffered from the Jews, who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and also drove us out. Do you see what Paul is saying? Suffering is another sign that the Thessalonians are the real thing. It's another sign that God's work is at work in them. The prophets, Jesus, the church, they all faced opposition, says Paul. And so the fact that the Thessalonians are suffering as they are shouldn't, shouldn't come as a surprise to them. It, it should come as an expectation. Suffering for the gospel, suffering for God's word is a normal part of the Christian life, says Paul. Why is that? What is the reason for, for this sort of ongoing hostility? Well, I wonder if you noticed, it's because the world rejects God's word. Look at verse 15, end of verse 15. They displease God and are hostile to everyone in their effort to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. You see, when God's word is proclaimed, there are only really two responses, aren't there? Either it will be received or it will be rejected. Either people will welcome God's word as the Thessalonians had done, or they'll work against it. And those who reject God's word will do everything they can, Paul says, to, to silence those who try and speak it. And that's what Paul says the Jews did with the prophets. It's what they did with Jesus. It's what they did with Paul in Thessalonica. They try to stop the speaking of God's word. But that kind of opposition, it's not, it's not just limited to the Jews, is it? Throughout history, People of all backgrounds, religions, and races have opposed God's word. And that continues to be the case today. On Wednesday, Tim and Anna flew to a country that is hostile to the gospel. Ben and Emily Clark have been in Sweden for over a year, and they continue to face opposition to God's word. As we thought about a few weeks ago, Christians in the UK are increasingly being seen as the bad guys in society. Why is that? What causes people to be so opposed, so hostile to God's word? Well, it's because of what it does, isn't it? As we've already seen, it, it's God's word that cuts to the heart. It, it lifts the lid on our lives and shows us what we're really like. And we don't like that. Ever since Genesis 3, humanity has wanted to cover up, to, to hide from God. 
The natural inclination of every human heart is to, to want to live in the shadows, to want to live in the dark. We don't want people to know what we're really like. We don't want God to say what we're really like. We don't even want to think about that ourselves. But then God's word comes like a spotlight and it shines on us. It exposes, it reveals, it brings to light the things that we desperately want to hide. And so often our response is to run from it, to reject it, to to carry on living in the dark because that's where we want to be. And so we'll do whatever we can to stop the light of God's word shining on us. People oppose God's word fundamentally because it exposes their hearts. And so can I say, if you, if you want to avoid opposition as a Christian, if you want an easy run as a Christian, it's really, really simple. Just stop speaking about God's word. If you want to avoid being shunned at work, or, or if you want to avoid being mocked at school, just don't mention that you are a Bible-believing Christian and you will be fine. Keep quiet about the place of God's word in your life. If we want to be a church that is always loved and never disliked by our community, then the best thing we can do is stop preaching the gospel. Because the world is opposed to God's word. And so Paul says, if we continue to proclaim it, we should expect to face opposition. Now, hopefully you'll be, you'll be pleased to know that we have no plans to stop preaching the gospel to try and avoid opposition here at King's Church. That isn't part of the vision plan for the next five years. No, the opposite is true. We are a church that is committed to the faithful proclamation of the gospel, even if it costs us. Because as Paul says in verse 16, it is that as the gospel is proclaimed, that people are saved. You see, the sad reality is that in rejecting God's word, people are turning their back on the one thing they so desperately need. Because although it is painful to have God's word expose our hearts, although it can feel embarrassing or shameful or just inconvenient to have God speak to us, the reality is that through God's word, it's through God's word that we find the only way to deal with the sin that lurks deep within all of us. You see, not only does God's word expose us not only does it show us our sin but it also points us to the savior not only does god's word show how we have rejected the god who made us it also tells us how we can be restored to the god who loves us it is only in god's word that we see how jesus christ has paid the price for our sin how he has died on a cross, taking the punishment we deserve for all the ways that we have rejected God, all the ways that we have disobeyed his word. And so now by trusting him, by having faith in him, we can be forgiven. We can be restored. It's through God's word that we find that instead of being 
God's enemies, we can be made his friends, his children. It's through God's word that we find that instead of facing death, we are offered life. It is in hearing and believing God's word that people are saved, says Paul. And so can you see how tragically sad it is when people reject that word, when they they oppose that life-giving word of God? And not only is it sad, but Paul says it's also incredibly serious. Look at the end of verse 16. He says, In this way they always heap up their sins to the limit. The wrath of God has come upon them at last. Those who try to work against God by opposing his word will face the consequences, says Paul. And so although at times it might seem like they've been successful in stopping the gospel, although it might seem they have the upper hand or they've silenced people who will proclaim the gospel, Paul says we should be in no doubt that God will have the last word. Their judgment is so certain, says Paul, that he even puts it in the past tense. Did you notice that? God's wrath has come upon them. It has come upon those who will oppose God's word. Those who will try to prevent people from being saved by silencing the gospel will face God's judgment. It is a severe warning and one that we should take incredibly seriously. But remember, this is also a letter written to reassure, to encourage those who believe. To encourage them that God is in control. That nothing will stop his gospel. He will have the last word. And so you see, Paul's big point in these verses is that that if you follow Jesus, if you stick to God's word, then you should expect to suffer for it. Opposition is a normal part of the Christian life, says Paul. But we shouldn't be discouraged by that. Because suffering for the gospel is a sign that God's word is at work in you. It's evidence that you are a real Christian, one who has welcomed God's word with the joy of the Spirit. And that means you can keep going. Despite opposition, despite persecution, you can keep going as a Christian. And it means you can keep growing. As God's word continues to work powerfully within you, you will keep growing to be more and more like the Lord Jesus. That is what you can expect, says Paul, as you keep following him. Let's pray together. Our loving Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can know for certain that you have spoken to us this morning. Father, please, uh, would you make anything that I have said that is not of you uh, fade into the background, be forgotten. But Father, everything that you have said to us this morning, would you take by your Spirit and work in us to make us more and more like your Son, to help us to keep going even in the face of opposition, And keep proclaiming your good news, your word that saves. We pray it for your glory. Amen.